Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book Think Again by Adam Grant. Keep listening to find out why we need to change our mind more often. Welcome back. I'm your host, Steph Clark, and each week I share with you the three big ideas from the best non-fiction books that I've been reading and do the reading so you don't have to. It's a great shortcut to reading more or reading differently if you want to listen and maybe find out books to read, books to not read, but also to find out whether you should continue reading some of the books you may have started and whether it's worth continuing on that journey. And this week, I'm talking about a book that I've been really excited about coming out. I'm a big fan of Adam Grant's work, uh, both his work as an organizational psychologist, which links really nicely to some of the work I do with leadership teams and things, but also his work in the books he writes. And a lot of it is around thinking and around ways of working or ways of living. And yeah, I really like his, his style of writing, both in his books, but also his articles and papers that he puts out as well. So this book has only been out a couple of weeks, so I was excited when it arrived and landed in my Kindle a couple of weeks ago. I thought, ah, amazing. It's like a gift from the author. I always think when that happens, especially when you pre-order it and you haven't actually been on moments before and and hit the buy button. So that was a nice treat. But the joys of pre-ordering Kindle books aside, let me tell you a little bit more about this book. Intelligence is usually seen as the ability to think and learn, but in a rapidly changing world, there's another set of cognitive skills that might matter more, the ability to rethink and unlearn. In our daily lives, too many of us favour the comfort of conviction over the discomfort of doubt. We listen to opinions that make us feel good instead of ideas that might make us think hard. We see disagreements as a threat to our egos rather than an opportunity to learn. And we surround ourselves with people who agree with our conclusions when we should be gravitating towards those who challenge our thought process. As an organisational psychologist, Adam Grant is an expert on opening other people's minds and our own. With bold ideas and rigorous evidence, he investigates how we can embrace the joy of being wrong, harness the surprising advantage of imposter syndrome, bring nuance to charged conversations and build schools, workplaces and communities of lifelong learners. A little bit about the author, Adam Grant is an organisational psychologist and TED speaker who helps people find meaning and motivation at work. He's been one of Wharton's top rated professors for seven years straight and as an organisational psychologist, he's a leading expert on how we can find motivation in meaning and live more generous and creative lives. He has been recognised as one of the world's 10 most influential management thinkers and Fortune's 40 under 40. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author of five books that have sold millions of copies and been translated into 35 languages, Give and Take, Originals, Option B and Power Moves. He's also the host of Work Life, a chart-topping TED original podcast, and his TED Talks on original thinkers and givers and takers have been viewed more than 25 million times. He has more than 3 million followers on social media and features new insights in his free monthly newsletter, which I'd highly recommend signing up for, Granted. All of that was taken from adamgrant.net, which has a lot of his other work on as well. So if you find this book or this episode of the podcast and the sound of the book really interesting, recommend going and heading, uh, having a look at his website and his other work. And if you do find the book interesting or the my summary of the book interesting or the big ideas of it interesting, please consider buying your copy of the book from one of my affiliate links to thebookshop.org if you're in the US or the UK or Book Depository for everywhere in the world. There are links to those in the show notes. All right, let's get into the three big ideas from the book. 
Think Again by Adam Grant. Big idea number one, the prosecutor, the politician and the preacher. Now this is not career advice of three jobs that you should take, but more advice on how to put your message across or how not to put your message across. Positioning yourself as a prosecutor or trying to prove the other person wrong, a politician seeking to win over the audience's approval, or a preacher protecting and promoting your beliefs with sermons to other people, mostly fails to influence anyone and certainly doesn't help us open up our minds because we're too busy trying to put across our idea in one way or another. Instead, what we do need to be is be more scientist in our way of thinking. We need to embrace the joy of being wrong. And there was an example in, or a couple of examples in the book actually of scientists and Daniel Kahneman was one of them who wrote the book Emotional Intelligence. He's kind of known as, that's his Nobel Prize winning work was around emotional intelligence. And the, some of the work that Adam had done had actually started to disprove some of the work that Daniel had done. So when Daniel came up to him after a particular talk, Adam was a little bit nervous and, and Daniel was like, oh, that was amazing. I had no idea that this was a thing. And you know, they had a really great conversation because Daniel really approaches his ideas. Well, he approaches them as ideas and as concepts and theories to be disproved rather than something that belongs to him or is part of his identity. So he very much enjoys the experience of being wrong because he then gets to learn something new and gets to find out more about what really is true. So by being more scientist in our way of thinking and remaining constantly aware of the limits of our own knowledge and our own understanding and being actively open-minded in our pursuit of the truth will set us up for more success in being able to change our mind, hold opinions a little bit less rigidly and move on and move forward and continue to relearn and rethink. Now, all of this requires an important reframe of our identity, identifying ourselves by our values rather than our beliefs. And you've probably heard that when we describe people, we talk about their personality being a combination of their beliefs, their upbringing, their, where they grew up, whatever it happened to be. But, and we include beliefs as part of this. But Adam is arguing that actually we need to loosen the grip on our beliefs and untangle them from our identity. This will allow us to observe them more objectively and really challenge them and keep moving on and keep evolving them and keep changing them without feeling like we've fundamentally departed from who we are or lost part of ourselves by doing so. So I think this was this for me was such a, a big idea around removing our beliefs from ourself and having them as these objective things that are slightly more transitionary in, in some ways that, that move with us and evolve and grow with us rather than being these rigid things that we are attached to even though we haven't rethought them since the 90s or the 80s or whenever we first became aware of them or they became our beliefs. So that's big idea number one, the prosecutor, the politician and the preacher, aka be more scientist. Big idea number two is ask better questions. He talks about how asking people how rather than why is a great way of unlocking limitations of their or, or your own understanding. Because when people describe why they believe something, especially when it's on, on the more extreme sides, they often commit to it even more because they, they even just saying it aloud makes them go, yeah, this is what I believe. I really do believe this because they're explaining why they believe it. 
However, if you ask them how they would maybe operationalize their views, how they would put that into practice if they were in charge or whatever the, the context is, they will likely quickly realize the limitations of the, these beliefs and particularly at the extremes and start to temper and tame their, their views and their, their beliefs. Another great question he says is asking how they originally formed that opinion or that belief. This is a particularly useful tool to really make people go, huh, yeah, I don't know, actually. I've just was maybe always taught, taught it at, you know, from their parents or they learned it at school when they were five and they've never actually questioned it. But it starts to make people realize, asking them, how did you form that opinion? Maybe it was they had one bad experience with a certain group of people or, or person that they identify as being part of a group of people and then have decided that the whole group of people, no matter how big or small that group is, are suddenly terrible or bad or whatever it happens to be. So asking how they originally formed that opinion will help to open up a different conversation rather than just asking why people believe a certain thing. This to me was a really practical takeaway, particularly in those more heated, maybe dinner table, family conversations when you get into things like politics, like race, etc. Starting to ask those better questions from a fairly neutral place and things that start a different conversation rather than just two sides battling it out is really useful. He also talks about the idea of being a logic bully or this point of assaulting people with cold, hard, rational facts. And he talks about some examples where he has very much fallen into that trap. Now, we've all likely had situations where we've tried to convince someone of our rightness or their wrongness or maybe some, somewhere in between and just gone, but this, but this, but this, here's the, the evidence of why you shouldn't believe that or why you should believe this. And... I would hazard a guess that that hasn't been very successful at changing anyone's mind. And if anything, has probably made them resist and hold on to their views even tighter. So before you pepper someone with all of the evidence, maybe ask them the question, what evidence would change your mind? Because that's may maybe where you can then hone into that conversation a little bit more and go, ah, oh, well, actually, did you know, blah, and have a more two-way conversation than just the logic bully approach approach of just throwing data and information at them because as much as we might pretend we don't or not like the fact that it does happen people are not necessarily rational beings we do not necessarily always make decisions based on rational cold hard evidence because otherwise we'd probably all believe the same things we wouldn't have half the problems in the world that we do as a second point to this, or as a, as an add-on point to this, one of the things I found quite interesting was the amount of data or evidence or examples that you take with you and how actually by having fewer confirming points or evidence points or whatever it is that you're using to back up a particular position, if you've got a fewer really strong ones, it is very much, that's much more effective than having lots and lots of varying strength arguments because actually even having one weak argument even when you've got a couple of really strong ones the weak one will dilute the strong ones and potentially even offset them in a debate now this is something that is has been seen and, and shown a lot particularly in courtrooms where you've got the two the two parties or the two, you know, defense and the prosecution what they find is that yes having one or two really strong pieces of evidence is much more effective than having lots of little maybe mediocre or even weak pieces of evidence 
The other thing that is particularly effective, which links back to this idea of asking better questions, is also by admitting that there are things that are unknown or there are things that are confusing or there are various views on this particular point. And particularly when we get into things like health or politics or education or religion, where there are very strong points made on various sides, some being obviously more or less scientific or rational or whatever than others. So this is big idea number two, ask better questions. Finally, big idea number three is rethink your life. There we go. That's a surprise for you, wasn't it? You weren't expecting that kind of instruction when listening to this podcast. Idea number three, rethink your life. It's so easy to get sucked into the tunnel vision of life, wrapping up our identity in our decisions that we made in a different time and a different context. And this is especially true when it comes to our professions and our work. From a young age, we're asked the terrible question of what do you want to be when you grow up? And our careers end up turning into something we be rather than something we do. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I was reflecting on this myself and I often still introduce myself as I used to be an accountant. I still feel like that's such a big part of of who I am and who I was and all of those things. But yet I don't introduce myself ever as I used to work in Marks and Spencer's filling the shelves or sitting on the tills when I was sort of 16, 17. And it's funny, isn't it, that we we attach ourselves to this one particular profession, maybe it's our first one after school or whatever it is, but we we don't do it with other things in our life. That's strange, isn't it? Anyway, so in the book, Adam says that kids would might be better off learning about careers as actions to take rather than as identities to claim. He also suggests scheduling a twice yearly life checkup with yourself to assess what you're learning, how you're evolving, and whether there's anything that needs a bit of a rethink or a course correction. Similarly, he suggests, and he's gone as far as actually setting up regular time in his diary in a, each day and each week to think rather than do, and forcing a prompt for constant unlearning and rethinking, rather than, as we all know, getting stuck in the way we always do things and the way we always think. He's gone as far as each week to set some time aside, just an hour or so aside, to actually get in touch with his challenge network, which are people who uh, will challenge his ways of thinking or who think quite differently to him and how he puts time in with them each week or contacts maybe not all of them, but some of them each week to challenge him to rethink something. He also builds this into the way he builds his curriculum at, at Wharton. So each year he throws away a percentage of the content and decides to rethink it. So to reimagine well, what should this content be? Where have I changed my mind? What new evidence has, has emerged in some of these areas? Because what might be best practice at one point of time might actually be quite ill-advised at other points of times as things move on. So he uses this as a way of challenging himself and you know he's doing okay with it. He's got professor of the year for seven years in a row, so it's clearly working. And then also thinking about how he applies that to his work as well. So big idea number three is rethink your life. So there we go. That's the three big ideas from the book Think Again by Adam Grant. Big idea number one, the prosecutor, the politician and the preacher, aka be more scientist. Big idea number two, ask better questions. And big idea number three, rethink your life. I really enjoyed this book. There was a couple of things I thought, oh no, Adam, what are you doing? Like, I don't like this in a book. Why, why are you doing this? And that was because he used a few of the examples which we've seen in quite a few other books as well. So the Challenger disaster with the O-ring failure from NASA. He also talks about some of the firefighters. That's actually one of the early stories in the book that he uses who uh, need to run away from a fire which gets out of control. 
and they fail to drop their tools because it's so ingrained into them that they never, as a you know, as a firefighter, you never drop your toolkit or the tools that you take out with you. Yet, if they'd done so, some of them probably would have survived because they're carrying these huge, heavy pieces of equipment with them. So there was a couple I thought, oh no, I've seen these stories before. Why are we, why are we regurgitating these? But the thing that delighted me was that for all of those, even ones I've seen countless times before in other books, he brought a new perspective to them. And he actually reassessed some of the elements of those stories and get, went into a little bit more nuance, which I guess is what this book is all around, is a lot of it is around nuance. So I was really pleased to read those and actually take a different perspective on a very subtle part of those stories and how there was an extra bit of information or how there was a different way of looking at what happened next or what happened as a result of some of those challenges. There's also heaps and heaps of other data and examples and case studies as well. So don't don't be afraid that if you read quite widely as well, that you will have read some of this before. I did find the start of it a little bit repetitive, probably the first kind of 10%. So if you've started the book and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm getting into this, and it's a little bit repetitive. Yeah, I found the same as well. It kind of felt like it was just making the point of why we do need to think again, which I thought was a fairly obvious one early on in the book. So it didn't probably need the emphasis that it did. But Again, it was something that was very quickly overcome once you got past that point. So I really enjoyed it. I'd thoroughly recommend. It's one of those books that I think if everyone or more people read, we would be better off and not just read, but actually applied. There's definitely things I'm going to be taking into my life. I've already told off my boyfriend for being a logic bully. And even him, even when I told him about it, he said, oh yeah, I do do that. So that was a win. I didn't need much evidence for that either. That was one solid piece of evidence. <laughs> uh, and, and some self-awareness clearly that he knew that that was the case. So if you have already read this book, I would love to hear from you. Best ways to contact me are LinkedIn and Instagram. Links, as always, are in the show notes. So you can drop me a note and let me know. Otherwise, in the meantime, happy reading.